1: I felt completely unqualified. In fact, I was like, any day someone's going to wake up and go like, this kid is not supposed to be here.
0: Did that scare you? Terrified.
1: But I had to act like I knew what I was talking about and what I was doing. It was a point in my time I literally thought I was going to just jump off a building. Even right now, I'm having anxiety. It, It was, it crushed me. It was the hardest thing I ever had to do in my life.
0: This is Finding Founders a podcast showcasing the vibrant entrepreneurial spirit of Los Angeles and our journey to find the founders responsible. I'm Samuel Donner, and today on the show, we talk to Jeremy Green, founder and CEO of MochiChat, a company that allows its users to create and share personalized augmented reality avatars. And with celebrities like NFL player Rob Gronkowski promoting the app, it's no wonder that Mojichat has skyrocketed in popularity since its inception. Through their recent partnership with Streamlabs, Mojichat has continued its increasingly lucrative trajectory. This partnership enables Twitch streamers to monetize their gaming live streams using an innovative bit donation system. Mojichat is only Jeremy's most recent venture in a long line of entrepreneurial pursuits. And he didn't achieve success magically overnight. Jeremy's entrepreneurial journey has been anything but a straight path. His unwavering work ethic and scrappy promotional nature can be traced back to his tough childhood, where Jeremy was forced to be self-reliant. He was raised by a single mother who was barely able to take care of herself, let alone give Jeremy the attention that he needed.
1: You know, I grew up very, very different, you know? Um, you know, I think my earliest memories are <laughs> me getting off the bus and just, you know. I would always say this chant over and over and over on the way home. I hope she's not at the bar. I hope she's not at the bar. I hope she's not at the bar. And I was like, I don't know, seven or eight? And I'd get off the bus and I'd say that chant the whole way home. I hope she's not at the bar. hope she's not at the bar. But sure enough, I'd be there all alone she'd be at the bar. There'd barely be any food in the house. It was so bad that I still remember the, the pay phones to the bars. And I knew those by heart because I would always call and say, hey, is my mom there? And see where she would be. You know, I'd be at home. Say, hey, ma, I got nothing to eat here. Would you know, and she'd be like, go grab some of my food stamps and go get something to eat. It was just real tough, man.
0: Jeremy started life in an incredibly tough spot. There was no adult that he could look up to, no parent that could provide unconditional love and support. Jeremy couldn't even rely on his mother to provide him with food. On nights when his mother was out at the bar, Jeremy had to put food on the table for himself. To survive, he had to find creative ways to meet his needs. And a lot of those needs were emotional. He just wanted someone he could count on. So he tried to contact his estranged father.
1: You know, there was a time where, you know, I didn't know my dad. And I was, for some reason, I thought if I tracked my dad down, you know, my life would get better. But it didn't even when I tracked him down. So, I found, you know, I found a way to kind of hack the phone lines because I had tracked him down in Nashville because my dad wanted to be a country singer. And I would have to be the to call long distance, and I had no way to do that. So back in the day, if you were an AT&T-like worker, they gave you like an access code to dial out as if you were an employee. So I was able to figure that out through the phone systems to make a bunch of long distance phone calls, and I ended up charging them to the water pool. And I got caught just trying to track my dad down. You know, I didn't really know I was doing anything really illegal. I just made those phone calls and I remember the police showing up one day and, you know, sure enough, the police charged me with theft of services and it gave my mom like a really excuse to kind of get out and give me away. But boy, I just didn't want to be a mom, just to be honest. You just didn't want the responsibility. And, and to me as a kid, all I kept thinking is how come no one cares enough about me to want me around?
0: Jeremy's mother rejected him. His mother, who was supposed to be a source of unconditional love, of protection. Desperate to find that love and acceptance, he resolved to track down his dad. Unfortunately, the police stepped in, and Jeremy was left feeling even more abandoned and unwanted than ever. But before Jeremy's loneliness could swallow him whole, he found his salvation. Music.
1: I was in, like, junior high, and there was this chorus teacher named You know, she was just the greatest ever. And I mean, she changed my life, dude. Her name is Karen. And Miss Curtis was like, look, Jeremy, like we're having this play. It was about substance and abuse. And I really wanted to lead in this like musical, but no one knew I could sing. And I said, Hey, I want to try out for it. And she said, look, Jeremy, if you be still for like a week and you behave yourself, I'll let you try out. So I did, and then when the time came, I raised my hand, and um, she let me audition. I sang the solo, and it fit so well with what I was going through in my life. And what she told me is that for the first time, she had never heard an entire room of kids go silent. And she said she had to step away, because she she cried. And she actually ended up giving me the lead to the entire thing. So at that time, I had a friend named Tanya Driscoll, and her mom was actually an AA sponsor. Tanya was like, oh man, if we could just get your mom together with my mom, maybe your mom will get sober. You should invite her to the play. And I'm like, she'll never come. I invited her anyways. We like tricked her. And she and my mom didn't even know that I was performing. So I came on with my part. I just sang with such passion. Every teacher in that room cried. I felt very special for the very first time in my life. And I felt like I had had a purpose. And that's when I realized how powerful music could be. And because that night, my mom got sober for two years. And that was the best, best time that I can remember. You know, she got a really good job. We had a really good Christmas. She had her shit together. She had a nice house, nice car. Everything started getting better.
0: Jeremy had bottled up the pain from his childhood. And now it was bursting out of him. But this emotional explosion was channeled into beauty. Music, the very reason his father deserted the family, was exactly what Jeremy wanted to pursue. Despite his father's absence, Jeremy nonetheless followed in his footsteps, subconsciously yearning for a connection to a father who he'd never know. The deep trauma Jeremy had suffered became a source of passion for a performance powerful enough to move his mother to sobriety. Although he had felt unwanted by his parents, music helped Jeremy realize that he was, in fact, valued and worthy. It affirmed that the neglect he faced from his parents did not define his worth. A spark had been ignited within Jeremy, and everyone could tell he would amount to something big. Music became a driving force in Jeremy's life. It was something he could turn to during hard times. A glimmer of hope when Jeremy felt surrounded by darkness.
1: Well, right after that is when it got bad. So then my mom started using again and the state came in. And I was still on probation at that time from those phone calls. And my mom gave me away to the state. That was the worst moment ever. And they put me in this thing called the House Team House in Scalag Maine. And... um, I just remember being there and I just remember sitting in the corner just crying, dude. Cause every kid there was just so fucked up. Like every kid there had either been like molested or something, some bad shit had happened to all these kids. And like, even though I was from a terrible situation, I couldn't relate. I was like, I'm not like you guys. Like that's, you don't understand about me. I'm a little bent, but I'm not broken. And, and that's the attitude I had. yeah, I've been through shitty situations and blah, 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 but I'm not like you. And here's why, because I'm going to be something someday. And I just took on this persona. Not that I thought I was better than them, but I'm I'm just like, I'm not broken. I'm not going to let this break me, ever.
0: So in those times when it fell apart, where did you find solace?
1: Music. I would shut myself in my room and just sing to my, I had a little karaoke machine, I would just sing in there. I'd put my headphones on, and I would just daydream that I would one day be out of the situation. I knew, you know, and I knew that there was not a single thing that was ever going to stop me.
0: Music became a parental force in Jeremy's life. It proved that he could be something, comforted him in his darkest moments, and loved him back with equal energy. Despite all of his hardships, Jeremy would never surrender. He made this rebellious, resilient streak a central part of his identity something no amount of adversity could take away from him. This trait was vital during his time at the group home.
1: So, so I tried to run away from that group home, and it was like way out in the middle of nowhere. And like, it was like miles from my hometown, so I tried to steal a donkey. <laughs> I tried to steal a donkey and ride it home, dude, and the cops pulled over and charged me with failure to reside at a DHS placement. My probation officer was like, oh, if you run away from this place, we're going to put you in jail. So they put me in the main youth center, which was like, it was so dark, man. The abuse that I adored in that place from these staff members were just awful. I was locked in a five by eight cell on a little thin mat in just my underwear and just my T-shirt, piss all over the place. Like there's nowhere that a 12-year-old kid should be. I mean, there were times where they, they, they wouldn't let you out for weeks at a time and you couldn't even see daylight. Everything, everything that they did to me in that
0: place was 100% illegal, like abusive to the max. Jeremy survived the group home. It failed to break him. He knew that if he had the resilience to survive that, he could overcome anything. And his timing couldn't have been better. But the time Jeremy left the group home, MySpace was on the rise. This proved to be the perfect platform for a kid with big dreams, stunted by circumstance.
1: After I got out of the youth center, they put me in a place called Hinkley that was amazing. So after I got released from Hinckley, I got a job at Burger King, and I started learning how to produce music in my house. And I was terrible, dude. I was so terrible. But I'd sit there, I sat there for about two years and didn't really leave my house and hang out because I knew I had to become dope. I had to focus like on how to produce and write songs and I completely self-taught. There was nobody going, oh, you should do this. Like everything was self-marked. So I started uploading my songs to MySpace and that wouldn't get any traction. So finally I found a way to, you know, hack MySpace to run my plays to the roof. And it just started blowing up one day. And then all of a sudden I went from nobody knowing me to being like on the top 40 on the list. And then I jumped to like top 20 and I was, oh man. And then it organically started happening because people started seeing me on the list. And then I jumped to like number five. And then all of a sudden I got a call from MySpace. Got on the phone, they're like, look, we know you're hacking us. We just can't figure out how, but we'd like to meet you. And I was like, wow, crazy. So they flew me out to LA and I signed a deal with MySpace. And organically, I became one of the number one artists
0: in the entire world on MySpace. Zero to a hundred. How do you comprehend such a change in your circumstance? Well, because no one really cared about me as a child, as
1: soon as I got a little money, I was like Kanye, like wait till I get my money right. And my ego is out of control, dude. You couldn't tell me nothing, dude. And you know, it's not like I wanted to be a dick. I just was a dick because I'm like, hey, I showed everybody, you know what I mean?
0: Jeremy's success can largely be attributed to his steadfast will. He refuses to take no for an answer. So what if his music wasn't instantly popping off on MySpace? He knew that it had potential, and he also knew he could find a backdoor to success. When he finally hit it big on the platform, Jeremy got a taste of that acceptance, attention, and validation that he'd been craving his whole life. Parental abandonment had left him muzzled and starved. But now he had the clout. He was howling the news of his success to anyone who would listen, to anyone who had overlooked him. The fame quickly went to Jeremy's head. He was soon hungry for more validation.
1: So I did this record with Pitbull, Right before Pitbull had blown up. And then MySpace collapsed because Facebook came on the scene and it just kicked the shit out of it. And then Puff had reached out to me and offered me a deal.
0: Jeremy was thriving in the spotlight, or so he thought. All at once, he received this deluge of attention, but that fame was fragile.
1: So the MySpace thing just crashed and burned. And I'm like, oh shit. But then I got in touch with Puff, so I start climbing again. And Puff cuts me like a crazy check, right? So, again, I'm feeling myself. But Puff is really more focused on me being a writer and writing stuff for his album, and he's focused on him. The whole entire time, I knew in my head, like, yo, this dude's never going to put my stuff out because he's just too focused on himself. But I'm going to watch him and learn as much as possible. Because to me, he's he's like a marketing genius. And so I watched everything he did from an industry standard, everything that I've done to this day has moved a lot like Puff. Cause like, here I am like working with Puff, right? And all my friends are like, oh man, you made it, you were Puff, right? And then all of a sudden Puff is like, yeah man, we're moving the label. You know, you can either come with or I can let you go. And I just knew that he just wanted me to continue writing songs and you know, he wasn't really interested in putting my stuff out. I was like, yo, just release me bro. And I just remember being like, oh, shit, I really hope this isn't over for me. And I am going back to Maine, just feeling like super defeated. Like in a Maserati that I owned and I couldn't afford the gas, you know what I mean? Like I had these big chains and watches and all this like just stupid shit that I couldn't even afford. It was like just super tough, right? Super, it was awful. I remember going and watch the social network with my friend Derek Miska who's my best friend and I just got so inspired and I looked at him and I was like yo dude we gotta build something he's like what are you talking about I was like yo we gotta build something like something like let's build like a website something anything he's like what do you want to build you sound crazy you think you're like a CEO like "I I do actually Nobody knows more about social than me. I was the face of my space. Like, I get this. We could build something. It's just got to be amazing. I went to bed that night, and I dreamed up these ideas of facial filters and overlay. And when I woke up the next day, I called Derek. Hey, I got this idea. And he thought I was, like, fucking crazy. And the way I to talking, I was like, look, Derek. And me and you are on Instagram. And we take a picture. And we're drinking Ciroc vodka and we happen to find an animation that'll slide on top of that screen of a Ciroc bottle. How cool is that? He's like, that's awesome. I was like, yeah, it's awesome, but you know what we're actually doing? He's like, what? I said, we're watching a commercial, we're playing with a commercial, and now we're sharing that commercial out into the entire world. It's disruptive tech, and no one's ever done it, and it's gonna be huge. So we started building like, this prototype that was just awful, by the way. I started looking up anybody who was gonna invest in like Facebook early on or anything. And I came across this guy named Tim Draper. Something told me this guy was going to invest in me and I didn't know why. And I cold called him. And I pretended to be the CEO of Google's assistant to get him on the phone. True story. And when he got on the phone, I think he was so impressed by like, I just, he's like probably, this kids are the biggest balls I've ever seen ever, right? So he's like, listen, I'm not gonna just invest in you over the phone, so you gotta get here. And and can you pitch me tomorrow? And by the way, I had no money, nothing. We got there though, we scrounged up enough money to fly all the way that night to Silicon Valley. And I met with Tim Draper and I told my entire story where I came from, my life, and he invested a quarter of a million dollars on the spot.
0: This move of pretending to be the assistant of the CEO of Google impresses and concerns me. On the one hand, Jeremy, a kid who grew up with nothing, has shown skill in finding shortcuts within the system. I think these shortcuts stem from a troubled childhood. The constant need to fend for himself, get food, find his father. I mean, he hijacked the phone lines and faced Juvie just so he could talk to his dad. Jeremy is something of a prodigy when it comes to working the phone. At the same time, he lied and has bent the truth to get ahead. Is this a pattern of posturing or the only option for someone who grew up without privilege? I think it may be a bit of both. But regardless, Jeremy was determined to make it big. He knew the ins and outs of the social media world, and he decided to take a stab at building a company.
1: I felt completely unqualified. In fact, I was like, any day someone's going to wake up and go like, this kid is not supposed to be here. Did that scare you? Terrified, but I had to act like I knew what I was talking about and what I was doing. I just was able to put together an amazing team. I started hiring people based on I think this guy has got it. I didn't even have to like look at a resume. I just got a scary eye for talent looking going like this guy's dope and this guy's full of shit.
0: Jeremy dove headfirst into the unknown, armed only with his instincts his defensive and skeptical nature allowed him to judge people critically, giving him an intuition that few others possess. He wasn't the smarmy, shiny-shoed businessman most people pictured. He was rough around the edges, bearing the residual thistles of someone who was exposed to the harsh realities of life too early. But there is a silver lining. Those years that he spent just surviving instilled in him a hustler mentality and a knack for viral marketing. We'll be right back after this break. I'm in New York right now, and my friend Danny took me out for a New York slice at the aptly named restaurant Best Pizza. I thought it was so great, so I called them and asked, can I leave a five-star review? Best Pizza. <laughs> Hello, um, I had your pizza yesterday, and I really enjoyed it. Would it be okay if I left a five-star review on Yelp? If you what? If I left a five-star review on Yelp. It seemed like a no-brainer. Of course he wanted a five-star review. And we do too. If you liked this podcast, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. But I had one more question for best pizza. And again, I really enjoyed the pizza. Would it be okay if I came back later this week to get another slice? Yeah, of course. Again, it was a no-brainer. He answered in a New York minute. So we'd love to have you back too. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to subscribe to our podcast, Finding Founders, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks in advance. Now, back to the podcast.
1: Everybody was doing like weird marketing in the app days back then, but I took a music approach. I'm like, yo, we just got to attach this to anybody who's hot. I don't care who they are. Let's get them working with us because I want to become the hottest company in LA. And we absolutely did that We started growing like crazy, dude. We had the Pink Tank Mansion because I didn't want, like, a whack-ass office. And then all of a sudden, like, I had became Friends with Tiger and Kylie Jenner. And I was like, oh, my God. So I was like, yo, let's plan this stunt. Since all these big social media kids come here and let's punk them. Let's do a huge party and let's, like, force them into picking their phones out and making it go viral. So, I basically went to Tiger and Kylie, and I said, Listen, I'm gonna hire these cops. They're gonna put handcuffs on me, because guess what happens when that happens? What happens when that happens? Everybody pulls out their phone, right? And everybody starts tagging ping, tagging Jeremy Bale. So then I, I do this, and then I announce it's a prank, and then Tiger comes down the stairs and jumps on the table, and Kylie Jenner starts performing. If you could feel the energy in that room, it was like an atomic bomb. And people were like, yo, this kid is genius, because they knew what I had done.
0: Jeremy was focused on success above all else. He wanted to be big, to make it. He needed materialistic validation to prove to himself that he was worthy. Growing up in a less than ideal environment, he didn't have the support system that came with a loving family. He needed to hide his fragile ego behind lavish success. Internally, he still harbored the insecurity of an abandoned boy. Having success made him feel loved. The clout and the famous connections flooded him with the attention he was deprived of growing up. Instead of lashing out like a troubled child, Jeremy channeled his angst into his work. He mastered the art of selling himself. He knew how to put on a mask to hide his past. By pulling off this stunt, Jeremy affirmed his place in the entrepreneurial and celebrity worlds. He was no longer the forgotten foster kid. Now, his name held value. However, just when Jeremy grew accustomed to the euphoric high of reaching success after success, betrayal brought him crashing back down once more.
1: This is when things started going downhill. And I started getting an ego, which I'll own my shit. You know, I probably was a monster to deal with because I'm very... I don't care about none of your problems. I care about getting the work done by any means necessary. And then they met this new guy. So in the startup world, when you start popping, all these guys come out of the woodworks, right? I call them Tarzans, because all they do is swing from startup to startup, not doing shit and taking money. And then they met this new guy, and and they're like, oh, we want him to be the CEO. So what do you mean you want, I built this whole shit, what are you talking about? So I went to my guys, and I said, "Is this really what you want? Because if so, I'm going to walk away." And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." I said, "Okay," and they wanted to steal the company away.
0: How did it feel walking away from the company you built?
1: Oof! Even right now, I'm having anxiety. It—it was—it crushed me. It was the hardest thing I ever had to do in my life. I didn't trust anybody. These are my closest friends who I loved. I deal with my brothers, dude, and they just wanted to gain control of the company. So I left. My tail between my legs, broke, kicked to the curb. It was a point in my time I literally thought I was going to just jump off a building. It, I was really, 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 really hurt by these guys.
0: After facing a lifetime of abandonment, Jeremy held a fragile concept of trust. He had weathered betrayal after betrayal, but it was this trial that finally took the wind from his sails. Hardened by his childhood, he held a cynical outlook. He had every right to be wary of a world that had let him down time and time. And time again, Jeremy felt broken, adrift in his own self-doubt, and had a sense of worthlessness. Once more, he had nothing. Once more, he was nothing. Jeremy was an outsider, and this betrayal only confirmed his suspicions. No matter how hard he tried to outrun his past, he could not escape its grasp. The amount of trauma and heartbreak that the world threw at him was unfathomable. He was angry, scared, and alone. Again, he was the disowned little boy left to right his own ship. He was sinking, with no one to hear his gut-wrenching pleas for help. At a point where he had been seemingly defeated, he found his North Star. He found someone who would cherish and accept him for who he was, not who he pretended to be.
1: I had ran back to Maine. I just got on a plane and went back to Maine. And I remember just going like, nah, dude. You can't just run away from this. If you run away from this, these guys have defeated you. So I came back. And when I came back, I had nothing. And luckily I had this investor named Mike who uh, put a little money in my pocket, like 50 grand to kind of get it together. But I had nothing and I met Janelle and um, you know, dude, she like saved my life. And she just came in at a time where like, I was just super duper, super duper broken. I don't know where I'd be today if it wasn't for her, you know? She's just so protective of me, you know? And I remember, like, laying on the couch one day and her coming in and saying, hey, let's go for a ride. And I was super depressed. And I was like, I don't want to go nowhere." She's like, just get in the car. And she took me up to Silicon Valley. And she's like, call anybody you know. Let's get some meetings going. I called a guy named John Lagerling, who was the head of Facebook Messenger at the time, and he took my phone call, and, and I came out of the office. And I was just walking through Facebook and like, I could feel it, I get in my bones. I didn't know what I was feeling, but I was feeling something. I told John about the idea I had had, about Moji chat, and he was like, that's it, man. You go home and build that. I'm like, but I don't have any money. Like, how am I gonna build this? He's like, you'll figure it out. And when you do, I'm here. I'm gonna be your advisor. That day I went home and uh, I called Ed Reed, who was a football player, and he gave me a quarter of a million dollars to build this idea. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God,
0: I cannot believe this happened all over again. Finally, Jeremy spotted a lifeline bobbing just above the waves. The sea of despair threatened to drown him, but this new, wonderful woman saved him. She was his protector, his confidant. He mattered to her. All he ever wanted was to matter. He thought the hollow existence of fame and success would fill the gaping hole left by his disownment. But all it brought him was pain. Success, after all, is fleeting. He did not need the instability of glory. He needed the consistency of unconditional support. He realized that his happiness did not stem from success or network. What he needed was a who. The who he was doing it for. The why. Regaining motivation, Jeremy reprioritized his goals to better fit this new outlook. What do you think you learned from your first two climbs to the top? And like, what were you ready to apply this time?
1: There were two things that I had. I had humbleness and I had structure with my wife, which I had never had before. And I didn't go and surround myself with a bunch of people in LA and a bunch of celebrities and all this crazy shit. I mean, but listen. There were times when I was in a giant mansion that felt the loneliest in my life, and I had all these celebrity friends. Justin Bieber was in the house. And all these people. I know now that none of people really gave a fuck about me at all. Like everybody wants to climb to the top until you climb to the top and you look down and you go, "Why am I the only one standing up here?" And you just feel mad, alone, because you because you realize as everything goes, the house goes, the cars goes, the jewelry goes, the girls goes, none of these people are standing next to you. And that's what I learned. I learned how to value people who really cared about me and my wife. And we built this amazing company. And now I'm proud to say that, you know, Emoji Chat is the number one monetization platform in the world for gamers.
0: Having fallen for the glitz and glamour, Jeremy was drained of happiness. All that remained was his ego. He had acquaintances, but did not have meaningful relationships. Fame was a tsunami that wreaked havoc on his psyche, but his plummet to rock bottom saved him. He was forced to reassess his life, to face the demons of his past. He needed to accept the experiences that had shaped him, whether good or bad. In order to be reborn, he needed to succumb to the darkness. Rediscovering himself, he was ready to relinquish his materialistic desires in exchange for what truly mattered, his loved ones. Having their support propelled Jeremy to action. Jeremy would toil to his last breath for those he loved. And that became his guiding objective. Resilient as ever, he charged forward with yet another innovation at the helm.
1: I started building Chat, and I outsourced immediately. This company, they immediately blew through $110,000 of the company money and just did a terrible job, and I had to rebuild the entire thing. Every entrepreneur who's listening, be very careful about outsourcing your programmers. There's a whole scam to it. Let me tell you this scam. I'm breaking it down here right now, right? <laughs> I'm a guy. I got $500,000 of the choice. You own an app company building company. I come to you and go, hey man, I want you to build my company. You're like, yeah, yeah, I got you. It's gonna cost you 150 grand. You're like, oh shit, that's it? The whole thing? You're like, yeah, the whole thing. That's not the case. What they actually mean by that is they're gonna build you a minimal viable product, which barely will fucking work. And then you have to spend another $300,000 getting it to work. These guys, they get you in. When you spend enough money, you're like, I have to go the rest of the way or else I'm going to have this broken product. That's the scam.
0: And it happens all day in Silicon Valley. How do you navigate something like that?
1: What you do is you get your hustle on and you pull the code and said, you guys are fucking fired as fuck, period. And you bring that inside and you rebuild everything. And I tore that code apart and we rebuild it and we made it work. Because they, first of all, told me that it couldn't be done. If I had a programmer who told me all the shit that I've done that could never be done, oh, my goodness. You know, because programmers go, oh, it's, it can't be done, can't be done, impossible. And you go, figure it out. And then they come back and go, well, we think we figured it out. We're not sure. though. And then, and then they come back and go, okay, we figured it out. And I go, so why did you say you're going to try and figure it out from the first
0: time? Jeremy looked at these scraps of code that his bank account brought him, and he was unimpressed. He was a hustler, a true entrepreneur, but he wasn't any programming genius. He was the heart and soul of the project. And he played to these strengths, breathing life into this venture through sheer will. With a tangible product in hand, he moved on to the next phase, advertisement.
1: So Troy, my project manager, was playing video games one day. And he was on stream and he basically told me he was like on it for like 12 hours. I dude, like, dude, why have I, I've been trying to call you all day. He was like, oh man, I'm grinding it out on Twitch. I'm like, really? And he's like, oh, I'm making money. I'm like, well, how much did you make? He's like, I made like a hundred bucks this month. I'm like, dude, are you, are you kidding me? so then I found a way to go okay streamers don't make a lot of money how do we fix that using moji chat technology I realized that when you're a streamer there's these things called bit donations let's say you're ninja and I'm a fan and I'm watching and you've got 70,000 people on your page watching you okay so I buy these things called donations and as you're playing I send them to you and they're like these flat boring stickers that pop up on the screen. And all of a sudden you're like, hey, Jeremy, thank you so much for the donation. And I'm like, oh man, Ninja just said my name. So that immediately triggers an endorphin relief in my head. Like, oh man, Ninja just said my name. So then I thought to myself, wait a minute. What if I could have these digital characters when I send Ninja a donation that would walk across Ninja's screen and do something really cool? That to me is cool because now I'm physically walking across Ninja's screen with my giant and all his viewers can see that. Then I thought, can I make streamers more money? Well, what if that character walked across the screen eating a Chipotle burrito and you charged a $15 to $20 CPM mob? In a nutshell, Mojichat is what they call the Google ad mob of Livestream. We've invented a non-intrusive ad unit for Livestream.
0: To be successful, you need to be ahead of the curve. And Jeremy was definitely ahead. Jeremy found success in applying novel technology to new mediums, namely streaming. To launch his product to the next level of success, he strayed from conventional advertising methods. It was this out-of-the-box thinking that shot him to stardom once more.
1: So we handle the top gamers in the world right now. We're currently built into Streamlabs. Streamlabs handles 80% of the entire marketplace for streamers. We just did an event the other day with Ninja and Rob Gronkowski and Waka Waka called COVID, where we raised $2.2 million in 10 hours for the Boys and Girls Club. The cool part is we brought in DoorDash and we animated DoorDash and DoorDash was seen something like 200 or 300 times over that stream, over and over and over and over. So they got to run that ad nonstop. And what marketplace can you run an ad 300 times? And that's how, you know, me and Gary got together. Because now, remember, how I got Gary from from Rascal Flatts to get involved is I challenged him on my Instagram because, I listen, I'm a country fanatic. In my entire life, I've been wanting to sing with this man because, like, he's the best vocalist on the planet Earth. So I was like, yo, I'm going to call out Gary and see if I can challenge him. And his daughter saw it and responded to me. I was like, yo, I'm going to get my dad to call you in the morning. Her dad called me. And I was like, yo, you want to do this tournament? All right, let's go. never We sang the song live together, it went crazy, and then now, he's like, yo, why don't we just work together? So now I'm the first artist Rascal Flatts has ever co signed and by the way, they've broken a plenty of artists, like Taylor Swift broke off their tours, Dan and Shay broke off their tours, like the biggest artists in the world, but they've never stood behind an artist. Now I've gotten a record deal out of this thing, so we released a record, and it's going crazy everywhere. And I'm creating an album, and it's just incredible. The only reason why that stuff happened is yo, know, God has had a plan for me my entire life. And I just never stopped enough and like let him in. And even putting little good things in my life my entire time with my wife and tugging on my heartstrings. And you know, I got a beautiful daughter and a wife who stand beside me, and I'm not out there doing a bunch of fuckery. I'm focused.
0: Faith was a driving force for Jeremy. The unwavering faith of his loved ones, his unwavering faith in God, and the faith he holds in himself has propelled him to success. Religion guided him. Its ethereal force gave him the motivation to push onwards, knowing that each test was designed to build his strength. Each challenge, each setback developed character and helped him uncover new pieces of himself that had been previously unknown. Jeremy has transcended the demons of his past. Triumphant against the onslaught of turmoil beating him down, he has reached the eye of the storm. He has found serenity, and this stability has allowed him to focus on achieving greatness. His name is Jeremy Green, and he makes sure that everyone knows it. And yet he is no longer motivated by validation. He no longer is weighed down by the need to satisfy others. Jeremy is not alone anymore. He has a support system and his faith to carry him forward. With them, He could weather any storm.
1: Focus, 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 focus. If you want to be a rapper and you're not practicing, you're going to be the hottest dude sitting in your house, right? Like period, you got to focus and you got to become good at your craft. Here's what I tell every rapper who's ever approached me with an idea. I said, listen, sit in your house for two years. The minute you think you're hot, stay there another two just to be sure. Same thing with entrepreneur. You gotta break a bunch of shit before you build something great. You gotta fail over and over and over and over until you get it right. I still don't believe I'm successful. I still feel that way. But I know I'm very good at what I do, and I know that we have something special. But I also, you know, I've done some real, I've done like Good Morning America, The Today Show, but I don't buy into that hype like, oh, I'm Jeremy like, who the fuck cares? Really, at the end of the day, I'm a dude who's a husband and a dad and an artist, and a creator, and I'm just happy to be I'm that.
0: Jeremy started in a trailer park with no money, no connections, and no family. Now, look at him. He's the definition of coming up from nothing, the embodiment of the elusive American dream. Growing up, he learned that nothing gold can stay. Jeremy grew up relying on himself. Even as he began to gain traction in the entrepreneurial sphere, he was still alone. Though he hid behind the facade of glamour and fame and wealthy friends, he still had no one. No one who knew who he truly was. Facing abandonment after abandonment, Jeremy was psychologically scarred. He was drowning in despair until at last he found his lifeline. And that lifeline isn't unique. It's what makes each of us human. Our desire for love and understanding, our craving for connection, our yearnings... To belong. Finding the support system he so desperately needed, Jeremy found the strength to weather life's hardships. It was the kindling in the fire that sparked his next great success. And now finally, he had someone to sit warm and relax by the flames. Though Jeremy may still be an entrepreneur, he now holds a few titles that are far more important to him. He is Jeremy Green, father, husband, and artist. He is successful for reasons that go beyond his net worth, He's a man who is loved and a man who has someone to love. Thank you so much for listening and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter by going to FindingFounders.co or check us out on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram at Finding Founders Podcast. Finding Founders is produced and hosted by me, Samuel Donner. Adrian Tapia leads the editing team with Matt Fernandez and Sophia Donner. Sophie Davies leads the writing team with Dan O'Nissen, Joyce Mock, and Elizabeth Bowen. Sahej Sandhu leads the outreach team with Jessica Lynn, Sasha Ivanova, and Roma Bedeker. Our design team is Phoebe Sejor, Annie Liu, Rachel Dang, James Barton, and Stephen Sai. Our events team is Maddie Bozen and Dharma Shah. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.